0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the it's the most wonderful time of the year edition. And by that, I don't only mean Christmas, I mean the end of the NFL season when your team is in playoff contention. And the Bengals have a one-game lead in the AFC North with two games to go after beating Baltimore 41-21. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays from the win, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Facts segment, safety Michael J. Thomas joins my unofficial Fun Facts Hall of Fame with an all-time classic conversation that is guaranteed to make you laugh. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since... My Mother's Christmas Potatoes I am from a mostly Swedish family, and on Christmas Day, my mother always makes her famous Swedish Christmas potatoes. Years ago, she wrote down the recipe for me... So now, I make them. The key ingredients are potatoes, heavy cream, and lots of butter. There's a reason why we only eat them once a year. Each forkful contains approximately 9,372 calories. My mom's are universally considered to be the greatest potatoes ever made. And at the risk of bragging, mine ranks second. Now. Let's get to football. Sunday's Cincinnati-Baltimore showdown pitted the two teams tied for first in the AFC North. But let's be honest, the Ravens were the Ravens in name only. They've been devastated by injuries all year and had a COVID outbreak this week. It was so bad that Baltimore had to call up 10 players from its practice squad. And the casualties included the Ravens' top two quarterbacks— Lamar Jackson is dealing with an ankle injury, and backup Tyler Huntley was one of the guys on the COVID list. So Baltimore's starter was 35-year-old Josh Johnson, who was claimed off the Jets' practice squad last week. Josh was a Bengals backup in 2013 and is the ultimate NFL journeyman. Between the active roster, practice squad, and training camp, he has been... With the Bucks, 49ers, Browns, Bengals, Jets, Colts, Bills, Ravens, Giants, Texans, Raiders, Lions, and Washington football team. A whopping 13 NFL teams in all. Sunday marked the ninth start of his NFL career. And after the Bengals kicked a field goal on their opening drive to take a 3-0 lead, Johnson drove the Ravens 75 yards in 12 plays. Third down and goal from the four. Murray in the backfield to the right of Josh Johnson. He will drop back to throw. Pass over the middle. Wide open for the touchdown is Bateman as he cut inside of Mike Hilton and hauled it in for the Ravens' TD. So Baltimore led 7-3. It was clear right away that the depleted Ravens weren't going to roll over and play dead. The Bengals had to answer, and did, electing to go for it on fourth and goal from the one. Mixon moves to Burrow's left. They hand it to Joe Mixon. Get goes it, low. Joe! Yeah. Joe is in! Touchdown! Bengals has the decision to go for it on fourth and goal. Pays off, and the Bengals take the lead. Here's Zach Taylor on the decision to go for it.
1: It's a mindset thing at that moment. You know, it's, it's fourth and goal on the one-yard line. You know, if we, if we can't get in there, then we don't deserve any points. But uh, our guys answered the bell.
0: It was 10-3 Bengals after the first quarter. After the Ravens punted early in the second, the Bengals attacked. Burr out of the gun, catches the Hopkins snap, fires downfield, oh, caught no. on the run. He's sprinting down the middle of the field to the 20, the 10, yeah. the 5. Whoa, does a into the end
2: zone. Touchdown, Bengals, Man. 68 yards. Burrow to Boyd. They had five defenders like a picket fence about 10 yards down the football field. And John Harbaugh is looking up the field like, what? What happened? How did he get so open?
0: Unlike former Bengal Jerome Simpson on Christmas Eve 10 years ago, or Antonio Brown when he was still with the Steelers, Boyd did not stick the landing on his leaping somersault. But he still got a good grade from Joe Mixon. I'll probably give him a... Uh, maybe an A-minus, and the reason why I'll give him that is because
3: I seen AB a few years ago do a whole flip and land on his feet, and that was
0: real-life impressive. So, um, like I said, I give it an A-minus, but, I mean, an A is an A. It was 17-7 Cincinnati, and after a 3-and-out by Baltimore, the Bengals scored again. Jason Boyd out to the left, Higgins out to the right, Burrow throws, caught by a wide open Jackson, what a cut, back toward the middle of the field, touchdown! Bengals! Burrow to Mixon from nine yards out, and the Bengals are pouring it on. It's
2: 23-7, pending the extra point. That's what you want to do, is take the hope away from the Baltimore Ravens.
0: That was Mixon's 16th touchdown of the year. He needs one more to tie Carl Pickens' franchise record. To the Ravens' credit, they answered with a 13-play, 90-yard drive, picking up first downs, On third and 12, third and 13, and third and 10, before scoring on a two yard run by Devontae Freeman to make it 24 14. But they also left 138. On the clock, Burrow back to throw. He's going to fling it high and deep downfield, and it is oh, caught oh, by baby. Higgins.
2: Unreal. T. Higgins, Unreal. with a
0: defender on either side, goes up and over both of them and hauls it in. It'll be first and goal at the three. Brandon Stevens and Kevon Seymour were powerless for the leaping ability and reach of Higgins. Higgins finished with 12 catches for 194 yards both career highs 52 of the yards coming on that play
4: I think the play was actually designed for um, Tyler and uh, I was just doing my job running for the love of the game and I look up the ball's in there I'm like holy all right so and then I had to go make a play and you know it was over two people it's probably one of the greatest plays in my career so for sure.
0: and after two straight defensive holding penalties in the end zone including one that negated an interception Burrow went to T again Burrow drops back to throw passes two. caught T Higgins with a touchdown catch as he started close to the left tackle and then just cut toward the left pylon made the catch and the Bengals have scored on all five of their first half
2: possessions they score 41 points in Baltimore And they're about to put their 31st point on the board in the first half in Cincinnati.
0: After missing two games early in the season with a shoulder injury, Higgins has 71 catches for 1,029 yards. Here's Burrow.
4: In the last four or five weeks, he's been unbelievable. The way he's catching the ball, is, I've not really ever seen anything like it, the way he's catching the ball with strong hands and traffic. It's been awesome. The Bengals
0: led 31-14 at the half and kept their foot on the gas. On their only possession of the third quarter, they held the ball for 10 minutes and 29 seconds before settling for an Evan McPherson field goal that made it 34-14 going to the final quarter. But any thought of resting the starters was squelched when Josh Johnson threw an 18-yard touchdown pass to Mark Andrews that made it 34-21 early in the fourth. Here's Zach Taylor.
1: They've been down similar situations like this. You know, Green Bay had them down, uh, I think it was 11 last week and had a three and out and they came roaring back and had a chance to win the game. And we were not going to allow that to happen.
0: So on their next drive, rather than trying to kill the clock by running the ball, the Bengals passed on eight straight plays and Burrow completed all eight. Second and seven from the Baltimore 10. Burrow ready for the shotgun snap. Joe has the ball, drops back three steps. He fires. Boom. And it is caught by T. Higgins. Touchdown, Bengals. As he ran a post pattern, got position inside of daryl Worley, and hauls in Burrows. Fourth touchdown pass of the game. It's the first time in Joe Burrow's NFL career he's thrown four or more. That made it 41 21, and the Bengals kept throwing. Here's Burrow, when asked, if the Bengals were trying to send a
4: message. No, I don't think so. I think their offense was moving the ball all day. They were doing a good job. They were putting points on the board. And they were the number one rush defense in the league going into the game. So, and we were throwing the ball really well. So we needed first downs to keep their offense off the field, I think. And we were just doing what was working.
0: Burrow threw his final pass on third and four with two minutes to go. Ten defenders at the line of scrimmage for Baltimore. They send three. They cover with eight. Burrow scrambling. Throws it deep downfield. Uh Mixon makes the catch at the ten and goes down at the seven. He beat Anthony Levine. Burrow with the deep ball completion. And that will take Joe Burrow up and over 500 passing yards. The first quarterback in more than 50 years of Bengals football to ever do it. Burrow finished with 525 passing yards to break Boomer Esiason's team record of 490 set back in 1990. 525 is the fourth highest total in NFL history. The NFL record is 554, set by Norm Van Brocklin in 1951. Here's Burrow on joining the
4: 500 club. I think it means a lot to the whole team. Um, Now, that's not just... A reflection of me it's a reflection of the offensive line the receivers the coaching staff and and how we ex- went out and executed today so that's exciting
0: but despite his team first modesty burrow couldn't help cracking a smile when reminded about a comment made by baltimore defensive coordinator don wink martindale earlier this week when asked if the ravens would use the same strategy they used the week before against the green bay duo of Devonte adams and aaron Rodgers in hopes of shutting down Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow.
2: To sit here and have you think that we're going to run the same plan against Jamar Chase as we did uh, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, uh, we're going down the wrong street because, you know, like I said last week, Devontae Adams, is he's, he's one of the top two receivers in the league, and he's not number two. So, uh, and Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I don't think we're ready to buy a gold jacket for Joe yet. In fairness to Martindale,
0: he said a bunch of complimentary things about Burrow in that news conference, but the gold jacket comment is the one that got the headlines and the thing that Burrow
4: heard. I didn't think it was a necessary comment. I wouldn't say I was offended by it. I mean, I'm in year two, who knows what's gonna happen down the road, but I didn't think it was a necessary comment.
3: Was it
0: on your mind when you were throwing at the end of 525? <coughs> Maybe. In two games against Baltimore this year, Burrow threw for 941 yards and seven touchdowns with a passer rating of 131.1. Moral of the story, according to Trey Hendrickson, don't say anything that can give Burrow an added edge. It's just one of those things that... Uh, you know, I wouldn't go around pissing that guy off. So, um, <laughs> hey, they, uh, he did a great job. Uh, I know we're, we're really proud of him. And as a defense, you know, he's important to us. you think somebody pissed him off? Uh,
2: I read a couple things, you know, so maybe.
0: Admittedly, Burroughs' performance and the Bengals' 41-21 route came against an injury and COVID-ravaged Ravens roster. But Zach Taylor says it doesn't take anything away from the win.
1: No, heck no, 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 no. They, they, they. Week 17 last year, we, we had hardly anybody left, you know, and, and uh, I didn't feel anybody minimizing their win against us, and so we sure as heck no hard it is to win in December. These guys have fought hard. We asked them to answer the bell, they did, and, and that's still the Baltimore Ravens out there playing meaningful football for them, and so our guys shouldn't apologize for one second for the performance they went out there and did today, and dang proud of those guys for how they hung in there the full course of the game and, uh, and handled you know the adversity we've had over the course of time too, and. And, uh, you know, it's just our time to sit out there and, and make a mark for ourselves.
0: The Bengals are 9-6 and six with two games to go. They lead Baltimore by a game, Pittsburgh by a game and a half, and Cleveland by two. Up next, a home game against the number one playoff seed in the AFC, the 11-4 and four Kansas City Chiefs. A team with an eight-game winning streak, including a 36-10 win over the Steelers on Sunday. Get your tickets while they're still available. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Now, time for post-game analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, it's Christmas time. We're celebrating our Lord and Savior, Joe Burrow (laughs) hope nobody's offended it's just a joke but 525 yards four touchdowns the first quarterback in Bengals history to throw for more than 500 yards in a game we are so fortunate to have this guy as the quarterback of this franchise for the hopefully the next 10 years at least but man is he
2: good he really is I mean he's uh he's so special with not just the way he throws the football you know that that's that's the obvious part I, th- I think what's so unique about him and talked about a little bit after the game with with martindale and all that he can do and the big inventory he has to draw from you know Joe said i i just saw everything that i needed to see kind of when i needed to see it and saw the football field and obviously he said you know it's it's not just me when you go for 525 yards my line did a good job my receivers my running backs everybody so he obviously passed the credit like all quarterbacks do, but his receivers were just running great routes and just separation. They just, they, they didn't, they were overmatched. I mean, undermanned and overmatched. There's no two ways about it. And the Bengals took full advantage of it, but that's life in the National Football mm-hmm. League. Can't feel sorry for anybody. That's just uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, I, w- I would have loved to have seen Tyler Boyd get one more ball for 15 yards and have those three, the triplets, the three headed monster all have over 100 yards receiving in the same game. That would have been unbelievable. If 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 he didn't run out of uh, if that that 68-yard touchdown could have been good from 83. If he had to go 83 and get the 15 yards, he just you know ran out of real estate basically.
0: I think anybody can reasonably admit that the Bengals were not facing the Ravens A-team. Sure. Between players that are injured reserve and COVID, Baltimore is missing a ton of great players. But as we said in the pregame and during the game, that is not the Bengals' fault. You you try to beat the team that you are facing, and they capitalized on Baltimore's many good players that were sidelined.
2: And what if it had been a three-point game and the Bengals had edged them? They're getting killed. They're getting killed. So – I mean, you win by three scores, and now you know you're running it up and you're the bully um and you know they're undermanned, and you know why are you doing this and doing that? <sighs> to me, it, it was third and eighteen. they wanted to get a first down and they got the first down and then they sat on the football that that was the bottom line. Um, the Baltimore Ravens Josh Johnson was playing he was playing football mm-hmm. quarterback rating of, of ninety eight point three. 28 of 40, 300 yards, 304 yards passing against a, you know, a Bengals defense that has been playing playing pretty darn well. They couldn't run the ball. Uh, they didn't run the ball, and they couldn't when they tried to. Two, 2.4 yards a carry, that's going to do nothing but help their, their status stop in the run. Um, but in both football teams decided they had to throw the football in this game, and they both did. But, I mean, how about the Bengals? Like 600 yards offense in this one, over 500 yards offense in the first one, 82 points and 1,100-plus yards offense, that is ridiculous, ridiculous. And in that first matchup, I mean, Humphrey was was matched up on Chase when he mm-hmm. had over 200 yards. I mean, it's crazy.
0: Ravens defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, it's like a Rex Ryan kind of guy. He's brash, not afraid to say things. He's a great defensive coordinator. Nobody could argue that. But he made the comment during the week that – Joe Burrow basically is not ready to be fitted for a gold jacket yet. And he's right. But in two games against the Ravens, 60 for 84, that's 71% completion, 941 yards, seven touchdowns, one interception, pass a rating of 131.1. 1. That's a nightmare that uh, Wink Martindale and the Ravens are going to have to, to worry about for the next however
2: many years. I'd say he's got the right arm of the jacket. <laughs> Measured out <laughs> from those two games in Baltimore. I mean, that right arm is golden. Man, he is—he—he uh, he is something. And and as you say, it, he's not going to regress. I mean, if anything, he's even going to get sharper. If that's if that's possible. But I've never seen – Really, I've seen a lot of quarterbacks that have laser focus. This guy though is like the same no matter what game like this, a game where he throws 100, for 150 yards as long as they win the football game he is truly good with it and people ah yeah that's a bunch of talk no it's it's fact it really is. this guy is all about W's and L's and man he's gonna he's gonna put together a remarkable career and I'm glad that this guy is a Cincinnati Bengal again his his mind for the game of football he's been blessed. I mean, the football gods said, Joe Burrow, you will be born a football genius. <laughs> and, and not only was he born a football genius, his mentor was his dad, who coached for a long, played at a high level, coached at a high level. I'm sure the conversations they had when Joe Burrow was growing up about defenses, Joe Burrow could get up and give you a lecture about defense and install defenses just like he can install offenses. He not only understands his offense, he knows exactly what defenses are trying to do to take away his offense. This guy is unquestionably a football savant. I don't think I see any young quarterback that gets the game of football better than Joe Burrow. This dude very rarely do you fool the guy. You know, he's he, he, it, it, and he is always bitterly disappointed and visibly upset when he's fooled. That's the only time I see him show emotion. I was fooled on that. You know, it's, it's not that I, I, I didn't, I didn't read it the right way. It's not that my execution was good enough. I can't be fooled. Nobody can fool me. That's just the way he approaches the game. And I'm telling you, not just young quarterbacks, huh? I think he's, I think he's as sharp as guys that have been in the league ten years or longer. This dude gets
0: ball. Put it into perspective from an offensive lineman's viewpoint. How extraordinary it is for Trey Hendrickson competing against the best in the world to have
2: at least a half a sack in 11 consecutive games? I mean, everybody strives for consistency. That's a big word, you know, and it's one of the biggest compliments that you can get besides, you know, when guys say, oh, man, he's great. That guy's great. The next word that you want to hear, man, that player is so consistent. We can just rely on him, count on him. He's reliable. He's so consistent that is what you want to hear and that that's that's a bigger population of potential population of, of players in the National Football League and Hendrickson has unique talents which make him you know an upper crust player and he's so consistent with them i mean we were talking during the broadcast that uh, you know it's like a sack here a sack and a half here a half a sack there it was never when Cory Bacon had his great season he had a five sack game. He had a guy that couldn't handle him, and they weren't at the point yet where it was sliding protections, chipping, you know, putting a tight end over there. I mean, it was just like you know, you got to go block him. You got to get it done. And the footballs evolve, so you're not gonna you're not gonna see a necessarily a situation like that. They're not gonna let a guy get a, have a five sack game, and for him to get one or at least a half of one for for 11 straight football games. Is remarkable. I mean, if you can get one next week against Kansas City and tie the freak, I mean, at least a half a sack in 12 games. I think it's now he's got a sack in uh, 13 of, of his last 15 games. That, that's that's half a sack, at least a half a sack in 13 of his last 15 games. You cannot define consistency any better than that.
0: So let's set the stage now. Two games to go, a one-game lead in the division over Baltimore at least, Pittsburgh still to come as we uh, record this conversation. But the Bengals essentially have put themselves in the position where if they win one more game, and it doesn't really matter all that much, whether it's Kansas City or Cleveland, they are in the playoffs.
2: And honestly, I, I, I'd like to see them put a string together where, you know, they finish the game on an up, uptick, on an, finish the season, I should say, on an uptick, on an up note. Because, you know... First thing you want to do is make the playoffs. But if you go into the playoffs, playing on a consistent level and, and on an upswing from a momentum standpoint, you feel better about it. Uh, if if you if you back your way into the playoffs or something like that, you know, now you just feel lucky to be there. But if you go and you beat, you know, the teams that they beat in Denver, Baltimore, Kansas City, Cleveland when they're all most of the time when they were playing them was like another playoff game. And if they can get on a, a, mini four game quasi playoff run that would stand them in really good stead. So I I'd love to see them just go toe to toe with the Kansas city chiefs who is their damn good football team. Their defensive football team is really good. I mean, it, it, this, this is a well put together football team. If they can beat Kansas city, that would be a heck of an accomplishment. And, uh, and you know that no matter what the Cleveland Browns are going to want to beat the Cincinnati Bengals particularly if it could knock them out of the playoffs they're going to they're going to if they're eliminated whatever the case may be i've been in both situations as a bengal playing the cleveland browns and there's they're equally sweet they are mm. i mean it's like if you can particularly if your last game of the season is beating your in-state arch rival to knock them out of the playoffs feel a lot better about yourself than if you go into the offseason having you know getting rash by that group as they go into the playoffs
0: for more on Sunday's win join Lapp and Lance McAllister for Bengals line Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW now time for this week's fun facts segment where you get to know the person under the pads Time for some fun facts with Bengals safety Michael Thomas, a nine-year NFL vet and a former pro bowler from Houston, Texas. Growing up in Houston, were you obsessed with sports, or did you have a wide variety of interests? Oh, man, definitely
3: was obsessed with sports. Uh, Shoot, grew up watching football with my dad, but honestly, baseball was my first love. Basketball, just like any other kid. Jordan was my favorite athlete. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other interests, though, since you asked that part, I did uh, partake in acting a little bit.
0: Well, I know you did some acting when you went to Stanford. I read that you had the lead role in Killer Joe. Tell me about that. Man, it, it,
3: it was a crazy, crazy uh, sequence of events. Stanford, they loved me and all my theater arts class. They was like, just go out for this play. All right, I did it. I did the, uh, the audition. Next thing I knew, I had the leading role <laughs> in the play. I was like, all right, we'll see where this goes. It turned, it, it was a great turnout when the show started. All my teammates came, everybody on campus came. Like, we got great reviews and stuff, and next thing I know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in newspaper articles and stuff for us. So I'm like, well,
0: football don't work out. Maybe I'll have an acting <laughs> career. <laughs> how does memorizing your lines for a play compare to memorizing a playbook? Oh, man, it's, it, it's crazy how great the crossover
3: was. I remember our first actual table read. Um, I had already memorized everything, because I'm like, oh, you gotta prepare, attention to detail and stuff. And I guess nobody else was supposed to be off book for, like, another two weeks. And when they saw me reading my lines and getting the character as if I was like, you know, if we were performing the play right then, everybody was like, oh, shoot, this, this guy's intense. <laughs> so it's it's definitely some crossover to it, and I, I just took it serious. But it's I, I think it's
0: a little easier. We're talking to Michael Thomas. Let's talk about your high school football career. You were an option quarterback, correct?
3: Yes. I, 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 I see you've done your homework, right? <laughs> yeah, Definitely. <laughs> Played quarterback my uh, whole career until I got to Stanford. Uh, that it was fun. I had the ball in my hands. You know, I was born on that side of the uh, side of the football. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think there were some receivers that I grew up with that were kind
0: of mad at me. <laughs> 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 Definitely weren't throwing the ball a lot of nimitz. So. From the research, I've read that you went to Stanford at least in part because you competed against another Houston area high school quarterback who people listening to this have heard of, Andrew Luck. Is oh, that true?
3: Absolutely, man. Like, we uh, were in the same – it was crazy. We were in the same uh, district growing up in high school. And, man, every, what everybody knew of him in college or, you know, like got to see in the NFL, he's been like that since we were 14, 15 years old. So once he started getting recruited by Stanford – and that, and he committed and once they started recruiting me I was like, "Well, I know that guy's going to be good, so shoot. If I
0: get in, that's where I'm going. We're going to have success." <laughs> and it certainly played out that way. Okay. Does it sadden you that his NFL career ended as soon as it did?
3: Uh, a little bit just because I know how hard he worked and how, you know, the aspirations of him and what he wanted to do, you know, being great and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, I just talked to him yesterday and we you know, we we stay we stay very close. Like we're we're like great friends, like almost like brothers, like he's happy. And the injuries and stuff, I know he didn't want to put that – you know, his his body and his family through that again of the, going to rehab and he just had his first kid. Uh, so he's happy, man. So so it saddened me that we couldn't all witness the greatness of Andrew Luck, the quarterback, but at the end of the day, the person, he, I think he's better.
0: So you must have been a great student to go to Stanford. You earned your degree in sociology. What was the hardest course you took? And what was your favorite course at Stanford?
3: Oh, definitely – uh, it was it, it was definitely a culture shock to me once I went to Stanford uh, struggled a little bit as a, as a as a freshman but uh, and that came from playing and then I, I I put some more stress on myself by pledging a Fred and doing all that stuff all, all as a young guy right but I'll say the hardest course was probably my freshman year uh, a computer science course that all freshmen have to take and that let me know yeah I will not be a coder at Stanford. we're not going to code uh, but I, th- I think you know once you learn what uh, any type of college institution is looking for out of their students and what they expect, time management and all that stuff. You know, I I I, I did well, and I say my favorite course ended up being stats, statistics, mm-hmm. just because I'm able to take the problem of any you know any word problem and stuff and just be able to apply whatever formula that that was needed for that that equation and, and and figure out a solution. So I think that that type of you know mind and thinking like that, that's who I am
0: a college degree from any institution is something to be proud of but they're not all created equal what does it mean to you to have a degree from that institution
3: I'll say this you know there's a recruiting tool right their little quote oh you know Stanford isn't a four-year decision it's a 40-year decision right you know what I'm saying and you you buy into it you eat it up you know it sells itself right but I'll say this anybody who graduates from Stanford you don't truly understand what that means until you leave and you start to see the weight of, oh, where would you go to school? And you say Stanford and how everyone else treats you. And then, you know, that, that that stamp of approval, that weight of that name, and then how many people in your network, you know, from the Stanford alumni and, you know, what they got going on. And they're like, oh, you went to Stanford? Come on, we'll just teach you. We'll bring you along. It's, it's, it's definitely a great experience. And I thank God I made that decision to go there.
0: It will serve you well for the rest <laughs> of your life. We were talking to Bengal safety Michael Thomas. Despite an excellent college career – you weren't drafted. Did that put a chip on your shoulder? And if so, is it still there?
3: Absolutely. That's not something that goes away. Uh, you know, like everybody else. You grew up, Oh yeah, I'm going to win the Heisman. I'm going to be the number
0: one overall pick. I'm going to get drafted,
3: hear my name, call, walk on the stage, right? And, you know, it, it, to not go through that, you know, it definitely, it definitely changes your mindset instantly, right? I guess it, it forces you to grow up fast. You know? You don't come in just wide-eyed, you know. Goofy, you know, with your career, you're like, no, I got to take everything serious because I only, I'm not guaranteed even to get an opportunity, and if I do it, I can't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I almost have to be perfect, and that mindset never changes because your status of undrafted never goes away as well, Uh, and that's both on, you know, in your locker room on your field, but also, you know, in the business side of it, right? So I've I've used that to fuel me. Uh, I see other undrafted guys, and I see guys on the practice squad. And when I I see them in the locker room, I try to make sure that I encourage them. Like, hey, you don't know how close you are. Keep working. That opportunity is going to come. And when it does, don't let it go.
0: You spent your first NFL season on the 49ers practice squad where one of your teammates was Hall of Famer Randy Moss. His son, Thaddeus, is your teammate this year with the Bengals. Did you share that nugget with Thad when you joined the Bengals?
3: Oh, absolutely. I actually, I think I embarrassed myself. I got into like lift weights early and he was one of the first people here as well. I was like, oh yeah, what's up, bro? My name's Mike. Like, yeah. Who are you? You know, what's your name? What school are you going to? And he kind of like was taking it back. He was like, yeah, I went to LSU, but he didn't really, you know what I'm saying? Like say his name or nothing like that. And I realized very quickly, oh, I, I didn't realize who I was talking to, bro. Do you know, I played with your dad and he started laughing. He was like, yeah, he, t- he told me a little bit about you. And it was just a running joke. It was like, dude, you know how old you are, you play with my dad, you know what I'm saying it's kinda weird that I'm playing with you, so man. Like now nah, we we joke about it. But that was a blessing. To be able for me to be able to say I played with Randy Moss and he was probably one of the coolest teammates you could ever have. Just spoke with everybody. He wanted he was a joy to be around, told stories, held court and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, do you understand? Like I grew up, you know what I'm saying, so I'm trying to moss people? Your name's a verb, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and and I'm just sitting here just, you know, chopping it up with you, eating with you and stuff like that. So that was a great experience and To be able to be with Thad, and now, you know, I try to give him as much game as I can from my perspective and what I went through and knowing what he's going through now, man. So it it comes full circle.
0: We're doing fun facts with Bengals safety Michael Thomas. Everybody remembers his NFL debut, but yours was especially impressive. You earned AFC Defensive Player of the Week. You are with the Dolphins at the time. Describe how you earned it.
3: Oh, man. From Monday to Monday, and that December 15th. Oh, man, like that, that that was that was crazy. Uh, Got, you know, got the call, woke up. almost missed my opportunity, first off, Dan. Woke up to a bunch of miss texts and calls from my agent. Uh, woke up, she's like, hey, if you don't let me know right now what you want to do, the team's going to move on to another player. They're trying to claim you. I'm like, who is it? Miami Dolphins. Let's go. Like, shoot, <laughs> screw it. Like, I, I'm trying to play. Almost two years on the press squad. Get there on like a Wednesday uh, the GM tells me, like, look, we got a bunch of injuries at DB. You're only coming here to play on special teams. Punt return was my only job for Sunday, right? Okay, cool, bet. Get there, I'm doing my job. I'm happy I get to play in the NFL. Fourth quarter comes, we're winning the game, and then two starting DBs get hurt. So next thing you know, I, I got to go in the defense. But actually, then our, our now Bengals defensive coordinator, coordinator Lou Anarumo, was a DB coach there. He's like, uh 31. You played a little nickel, right? Yeah, don't, nobody knows my name. They're not worried about me. 31. You played a little nickel in college, right? Yeah, so just go out there to, to Rashad Jones, the safeties, they're gonna tell you what coverage it is. You know, just, just play football. Only problem is we're going against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So he sees me in a slot, he's just picking on me down the field. Regular storyline, Tom Brady game-winning drive for a touchdown, right? Get to the fourth, uh get to the red zone. He tries me on first and goal for the game with Amadola in the end zone, or, you know, Element, one of the two. And I see the ball coming, Dan. And, I'm, my, my, you know, my heart is just racing. I'm like, oh, no. You know, it's like, don't let me lose the game right here. He has the ball in his hand. I fight all the way to the ground. Next thing you know, the ball pops out, and I'm just hyped. My teammates, you know, high five me. They still don't know my name. Great job, 31. Good job. <laughs> incomplete, incomplete. So now it's fourth and, you know, fourth goal for the game. Coach uh, A calls timeout. They're like, Mike, we're gonna give you some help. You in the safety, you're gonna double team Edelman in the slot. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if we lose, just don't let it be on me. Said Hunt. Edelman goes underneath, I free up. Just from you know, my, my study of how to play the coverage every, everywhere else I've been. Next thing, thing I know, I look up there and the ball's coming. It's like a movie, slow motion. Catch it, fall down in the end zone. I'm like, wait, did I just catch my first interception? Oh, wait, wait, that was for the game. Wait, that's Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm just crying. I'm, like, going crazy. My teammates jump on, up and down on me, camera on my face. The crowd's going nuts. It was just wild. Mm. It was just wild, man. And, I I mean, I couldn't have drawn it up better, um, you know, I, and that's why I encourage every guy that's on practice squad or undrafted, just keep working, man. You never know when that opportunity's going to come, and when it does, just make the most of it, man.
0: A game clinching interception off the goat, Tom Brady in the final ten seconds of your NFL debut. That's pretty incredible. We're chatting with Michael Thomas. You're with the Dolphins for five years, then you joined the New York Giants, and you earned a Pro Bowl spot as a special team standout. From undrafted to practice squad to the Pro Bowl. What did that honor
3: mean? It was I mean, it was more than gratifying, Dan. You know, you, I mean everybody puts in so much work and time and effort. But to earn, for me, is to earn that respect of everybody in the league, you know, all your peers, everybody you've played with, and you know how much they've put into it, right? That's so, you know, I I can talk all day about that. And the coaches, for them to, you know, you come up to you after every game like, I love the way you play. I love your passion. But to finally get that stamp of approval, that nod, and then – Banging on it, you know, for years when I was with the Dolphins, but Matthew Slater is just, he's my goat. You know what I'm saying? I just couldn't crack it, right? (laughs) Whatever. So to finally get that, man, that that, that meant a lot to me. Because, you know, forever I'll be able to say I made the Pro Bowl in the NFL at the highest level. So,
0: yeah. it's good stuff. You spent last year playing for your hometown team, the Houston Texans. Was that a dream come true?
3: I didn't even know it, but yes. You know, like, mm-hmm. when I signed with the Texans, I was never like, oh, yeah, I want to finish out my career or, you know, eventually play for the hometown team. I, I never really – that never really crossed my mind, especially after I went undrafted. I was like, shoot, whoever wanted to give me a job, whoever wanted to pay me, that's where I'm going, right? <laughs> but once I actually signed and, it, you know, it came across on Twitter, social media, you know, everywhere, and everybody – the way everybody at home reacted, you know, yeah. people, like, almost in tears or were in tears when they saw it. Like, man, I get to root for my guy. You playing for the hometown team? You know, how. Crazy, that's my, as light. I was like, dang, that means a lot. You know I was like, It means a lot to everybody, to the city, to the schools I went to and grew up in, how much I was able to do for the Houston community because I was there and I was really from there. I mean, that meant a lot.
0: And you were the Texans nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, recognizing what you've done off the field. I know you've had a free youth football camp for several years, and one of your focuses is teaching kids about finances, right?
3: Absolutely. Like, financial literacy... And education to me like those are the keys you know yeah to, to try to you know change those cycles of whatever that is really poverty uh lack of resources it's going to take kids going to you know going to school us being better than the generations before us and and not to say you know it's wrong how we were growing up they were giving us the best that they had that they had available the knowledge that they had or the resources that they had right but it has to stop somewhere you know so those, those those you know bad cycles have to stop somewhere and it's the access to that education. It's the access to those resources. And if I'm able to, you know, after everything I've learned out of all my experiences, be able to come and bring that back to my hometown city, then that's, that's, that's what I feel like I, you know, I'm
0: called to do. All right, a few wild card categories with Michael Thomas to wrap this up. You answered this one actually early, but you can elaborate now. Your all-time favorite athlete in any sport and why.
3: Definitely growing up, it was Michael Jordan, hands down. You know, like, like I mean, like, it was it was, it's just like everybody else. It was almost, like, sickening, you know, like, how, how I felt about him growing up. Uh, just the mystique about him. Uh, obviously, you just talk about sports, the unblemished. You know, six, you know what I'm saying, six, six titles and on, on six tries. But that work ethic that that drive that will to win you know challenging teammates and stuff like that i don't think the last dance changed my view that much because after being a professional athlete myself i know what it takes and sometimes you do got to challenge your teammates and leadership styles are different (laughs) but but yeah so i I, i'd say that just just that will to win and just finding a way just finding a way to get it done
0: aside from acting do you have any other (laughs) hidden talents
3: Nah, man. I, I, I'd i say acting probably is that 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 one hidden talent. Um, but, you know, now it's just trying to be the best father I can be, still learning on the fly. I got three young kids and trying to figure out how to be a good husband to my wife. Like, that's that's about it.
0: <laughs> what are you terrible at? Ooh. Oof.
3: I'd probably say I'm terrible at cooking, but that's something I am going to work at. You know, like I think my wife would appreciate it as well just to help out a little bit. So I'd probably say cooking.
0: You are one of three Michael Thomases in the NFL, including a current teammate. Have you ever been confused for the other two?
3: What? That's on a daily basis. I promise you. If I look <laughs> up my phone right now on Instagram or Twitter, I'm getting called slant boy. You know, like why you know, when are you gonna be available for the for the Saints? I drafted you in the first round. Oh, uh, man, me and me and me and I, I, my nickname is normally Mike T, but he, his nickname is Mike T, too, so, and he was here first, so I can't even go by Mike T now, right? So I, we, we call each other twin. You'll see us do our little, uh, our little acknowledgement and celebration every day, but you know, I, I love his personality. It's funny. We crack jokes every day in the locker room, but that's on a daily basis at this point. And I'll, probably, I, I'll give you one more. The worst part was a couple years back when I was with the Dolphins, uh, I think Nike was doing, like, player cards or something like that and giving every single player. You get your own per, uh, player cards, you can sign them, give them out to, you know, like, uh, yeah, at, your, um, at your youth camps and, and events and stuff, right? I opened up my pack. Oh, yeah, Dad, you already know where this is going. I opened up my pack, and it was a box, of course, full of Mike Thomas for the Saints. I, 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 I took the social media. I made a video. All my teammates laughing at me in the locker room. I said, no, no, enough's enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, 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 this has to stop somewhere. You know, but it, it, it's funny. It's a great name, obviously. But, uh, no, nah, it, it's cool to have a teammate with the same name as you, and we just feed off each other.
0: It would be nice to get a paycheck from the oh, Saints. That,
3: see, that you are on the same <laughs> That's what I said. I am waiting. That's what I'm waiting for. It's like, give me that check. Saints, Nike, Jordan, whoever. And my name's on it, Dan. It, it's obviously it's for me. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm waiting for.
0: <laughs> I hope it happens. <laughs> Last thing, this is kind of deep. If you could meet... Anybody in history, athlete, actor, statesman, religious figure, whoever that might be, who would that person be?
3: I'd probably say at this point, Jackie Robinson. Mm -hmm. Uh, I played him acting in a history fair uh, and did performances as him, uh, I think, it sixth grade and everything he stood for not just breaking the barrier you know color barrier in baseball but you know just just the mindset he had to have to go through that at that time still go out there in the pressure of going to perform and you know be a young african-american male you know with that much weight and you know how did he deal with it obviously i've had my uh things i've had to deal with in my career right so I'd probably want to, you know, have a conversation with him regarding dinner, you know, drink, whatever, you know, and just, just, just talk about that and just talk about life.
0: Tremendous answer, and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. Appreciate it, Dan. No, it's been fun for me too, man. Thank you. I hope you agree that Michael J. Thomas earned a spot in the Fun Facts Hall of Fame. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals the free to play next level fantasy football game downloaded now from the app store and Google play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment that helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde. Merry Christmas and thanks for listening to the Bengals booth podcast.